God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on the mountain. I will show you. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took him he, he took him to his servants, his son Isaac, and when he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out to the place God had told him to go. And on the third day, Abraham looked up and he saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and, and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. And he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Father, he said, Yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and the wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. You know, there are many activities and desires in life for which 99.9% of us would never be tempted to participate or will will ever have to participate in. For example, I've I've never, ever been tempted to jump in a boxing ring with Floyd Merriweather. Floyd Merriweather is a professional boxer, for those of you who don't know that. Or jump into a lion's cage at the zoo. Now, I could go through a whole list of of activities that I've never been tempted to do, and so could you. You could go through a list of them, too. Over the past three weeks, we have discussed some of the activities and desires that we often worship along with or over and above Jehovah God. And in the Temple of Pleasure, a few weeks ago, we discussed three gods, the God of food, the God of sex, the God of entertainment. In the Temple of Power, last week, we discussed the three gods of success, and money, and achievement. And as we've examined each of those idols, we've seen that none of those activities are necessarily wrong in themselves, immoral in themselves. In fact, some of those are gifts from God. It's our attitude toward them that can become very idolatrous. And that just shows you how deceptive Satan is. He takes advantage of activities and desires that are not necessarily evil in themselves, activities and desires in which we, many of us, all have to engage. Activities and desires that are good, have the potential to bless us. He doesn't fool with activities and desires for which we have no interest or connection, like jumping into a lion's cage. This is the reason why we have to be so vigilant as we live from day to day. Satan takes blessings from God and turns them into curses in our lives, obviously with our cooperation. So I want to share with you this morning one more temple that man has erected in society. It's entitled Kyle Adams' book, Gods at War. And Dwayne mentioned them in his prayer. The third temple where man often goes to worship is the temple of love. One of the gods in the temple of love is the god of romance. If you go to acmelove.com, 
you will find a list of the top ten romantic lines of all time. Number one on the list was stated or said by a Tom Cruise to Renee Zellweger in the movie Jerry Maguire. You complete me. Was the number one romantic line. You complete me. The, the fifth one on the list, I won't go through all of them, but the fifth one on the list was spoken by Jack Nicholson to Helen Hunt in the movie As Good As It Gets. You make me want to be a better man. Well, let me, just, let me just tell you. If you think that you need someone other than God to complete you or to make you a better person, you are traveling down the road to idolatry and futility. Because God is the only one who can complete you. Your relationship with another person was never meant to replace a relationship with God. This is because your mate, of course, cannot meet all of your needs, but God can and God does. Al Edelman told about the time his four-year-old daughter was watching a Disney movie. I love the Disney movies. I, I mean, I watched them over again with my kids, and now I'm watching them over again with my grandkids. I love them. But she was watching a movie um, about a prince and a princess. And after the movie was over, she asked her dad, she said, when am I going to get married? Or who am I going to marry, dad? And, and Eidolman said she picked up the idea that, you know, in order to be a princess, you have to have a prince. You see, the world tells you that, that you're not complete and you never will be content unless you are in a romantic relationship. Music and movies in our culture are almost all about romantic love. You know, adults who are not in a relationship are often uh, viewed as though there's something wrong with them. You know, there, there, there must be or they'd be in some kind of a, a romantic relationship. Eidelman mentions the singer Meatloaf, who has a song that says he would do anything for love. But later in the song it says, anything for love, but he won't do that. Um, but he never mentions what the that is that he won't do. Which raises the point. If you're willing to do anything for love, then love has become an idol. In Genesis 29, it's the incredible love story that really could be a reality TV show. It's the narrative about the love triangle between Jacob, Rachel, and Leah. And most of us are, are familiar with, with that. You know, Jer Jacob, he, he falls in love with Rachel, and he asks Laban if he can marry her, and he says, yes, but first you've got to work for me for seven years in order to you know, marry my daughter Rachel. And so he does. Jacob works for Seven years, and, and it says in Scripture that it just seemed like a day to him. He was so in love with Rachel. Well, and you know the story. You know, finally the seven years are over. The wedding night comes, and I don't know. I mean, I know they didn't have electricity in those days. They had candles and things like that. But somehow Leah, Laban sends Leah, the older daughter, in. And Jacob doesn't realize that until morning. He wakes up, and there's Leah beside him. And, and so, you know, he's going, what, what in the world? He says to Laban, what did you do to me? And Laban just says, well, it's just not our, our uh, 
practice to, you know, marry the younger daughter before the older one. <laughs> you know, it doesn't give away Jacob's reaction there. Uh, but anyway, he, he says, if you want, Rachel, you just have to work another seven years. And he does it. He does it. He works another seven years. And, and, and so Jacob now, after the seven years, that you know, took him 14 years to get Rachel. I mean, she must have been something. And, 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 and so he, he has two wives, you know. But he really, really only loves Rachel. And Leah, however, she loves Jacob and, 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 and longs to have his love in return. And, and you can tell that she feels rather incomplete without Jacob's love. Because you can tell it by the name she gave her children. For instance, her first son was named Reuben. For she said, it is because the Lord has seen my misery. Surely my husband will love me more. Her second son was named Simeon, and she said, Because the Lord heard that I am not loved, he gave me this one too. She had a third son who she named Levi, saying, Now at last my husband will become attached to me because I have borne him three sons. But then she has a fourth son. But her response this time is different than than the first three times. She named her fourth son Judah and says, This time, I will praise the Lord. And it's almost as if she says, you know, I'm going to find my fulfillment in God's love instead of my husband's love. You see, God will always, always love you. You know, God will never, ever break your heart. God is always faithful to you. I mean, you can be unfaithful to Him, but He'll always take you back as if nothing ever happened. You'll never be able to find an earthly relationship that will give you the love and satisfaction that God does. Human love was never meant to complete you. Only God's love can do that. A second God in in the temple of love is the God of family. Yeah, family. God created the family unit. You know, He created Eve specifically for Adam and said the two will become one flesh. Ephesians 5, 23-33, Paul told his audience that wives were to love their husbands and submit to them. Husbands were to love their wives sacrificially. You see, again, Satan uses that to his advantage and to our disadvantage at times. Because in Matthew 10.37, Jesus said, Anyone who loves their mother or father more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And you have to think that what's implied there is anyone who loves their husband or wife more than me is also not worthy of me. But Jesus is not here asking you to love your family less. He's asking you to love him. like if you did love your family more than God. You know, some of you, some of you know the pain of losing a child. And I can't imagine what the depth of that pain would be like. And I I hope I I never have to experience that. 
there are stories of, of mothers who lose a child and then kind of set up a shrine in their child's bedroom or somewhere. And these families just become dis- dysfunctional. Oftentimes divorce occurs in families that have lost a child. One or, or both parents can be paralyzed by that trauma and just, just can't seem to recover from that. Another reaction that often occurs when someone experiences the loss of a child or a mate is, is anger. You know, anger that's directed at God. You know, if you lost your child or a mate, you might become so angry and hurt that you're, you blame God and, and don't really want to have anything to do with Him after that. But turning away from God at the loss of a child, mother, father, wife, or husband is a sign that your love for that person is greater than your love for God. It can be idolatry. God did not create the families to to take His place in your life. How many of you would have wanted to be in Abraham and Sarah's family, you know, when after a hundred years, physically beyond child-producing capabilities, were granted a child? That would have been like my great grandchild. Don't do that. But this couple had resigned themselves decades earlier that they were never going to have children. Imagine the joy. Imagine the giddiness of having their own child when they thought it was totally out of the question. How many of you would have wanted to be in that in their, in their shoes? Abraham was chosen by God to be a key figure in building the nation of Israel. Most of us know that. So God felt it was necessary to test him and make sure he was ready for this you know, mission. He first tested him by telling him, you know, at the age of 99, hey, you're going to have a child next year. Okay. He, you know, Sarah, Sarah was 89 at the time. <laughs> I mean, that was the first test, and they passed it. Now he, you know, Abraham was kind of a surprised by that. Sarah thought it was hilarious. But he passed the test. They passed that test. But the second test was much more difficult. In Genesis 22, God asked Abraham to take his son. And God said, the son whom you love. So you know, you know they love this child practically more than themselves. And to sacrifice him as a burnt offering. And and this was only a test. You know, God had no intention of letting Abraham kill Isaac. But Abraham didn't know that this was only a test. Isaac, at this time, was close to being a teenager at this point because, you know, when they set out on their trip, Isaac had to carry the wood, according to Genesis 22.6. So we know it wasn't a wee little child. So, we're, you know, he was probably in his early teens or at that age where Abraham was less likely to resist. You know what I mean? No, just kidding. That's a different joke. So Abraham and Sarah have experienced this joy of having this child who was more like a grandchild, and now they're being asked to give him back. So I don't imagine there was much joy and laughter in their tent that day. But we know how the story ends. And this story isn't so much about sacrificing a child. It's about who do you love more. 
Abraham and Sarah, who I'm sure, you know, loved him with all their heart, loved God more by their willingness to give him back to God. And that's kind of one of the paradoxes of love. You know, loving someone so deeply. Is this good? I mean, the Bible talks about love. It's all about love. Love is a good thing. But it can become, even that can become idolatrous when it becomes so deep it exceeds your love for God. There's a illustration in Eidelman's book. It's titled, Who Do You Love? In 2007, the Barna Group asked more than 1,000 people to choose their most important relationship. And seven out of ten adults, seven out of ten chose their earthly family over God. And then here were some other findings. One out of three said their entire nuclear family is more important than God. 22% named their spouse as the most important relationship in their lives. 17% placed their children in the top position. 3% chose their parents. <laughs> Only 2% named a specific friend as their most important relationship. But 19% did name God, Jesus Christ, the Trinity, or Allah as their top relationship. But, and the most likely to make that designation were those over 40 in age. See, Satan is so poor, he knows what we love, and he exploits it. The third God in the temple of love is none other than you. Th this God is the God that might create the biggest problem for us because you can't really get away from yourself, can you? You're kind of stuck with each other, aren't you? In Eidelman's book, he says that there are some symptoms that help us to identify this God, and one of those is arrogance. Arrogance shows up as my way or the highway. My ideas are always the best. I mean, have you ever, have you ever said to someone, I like your idea better, better than mine? I think this is kind of tough for some, who have, especially those who have made themselves to be an idol. Another symptom is insecurity, and this appears when you're totally consumed with what others think of you. You know, you're afraid to try something new because you might fail. Um, because when you make yourself a god, you know, it's all about you. When others offer criticism, you immediately take a defensive posture and always assume it's a personal attack. Because when you're a god, no one is really in a position to criticize you, right? A third symptom is the inability to handle authority, you know, because you need people who are continually affirming that it is all about you. So the battle with this God really is a battle between the flesh and, and the spirit. This is a battle that rages within us. And sometimes we don't even know that this battle is raging within. That's just how deceptive Satan is. The prophet Jeremiah described idolatry in physical terms. Jeremiah chapter 2, verses 11 through 13. Has a nation ever changed its gods? Yet they're not gods at all. But my people have exchanged their glorious God for worthless idols. Be appalled at this, you heavens, and shudder with great horror, declares the Lord. My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. So, placing yourself on the throne is like digging a broken cistern and drinking stagnant water. As opposed to drinking 
water and the streams. Fresh water, living water. You know, because rain was scarce in the desert regions of the promised land, you know, they would dig cisterns, you know, to store, to collect the water and, and to store it. But, but they were always unreliable because they would develop cracks and the, and the water would become contaminated. The Jews would have understood the ridiculousness of, of preferring cistern water to a spring of fresh water. But it's, maybe it's not so obvious to the Western thinking too. When you look to someone or something else, such as romance, such as family, or yourself, you're choosing a well of stagnant water over a fresh spring of living water. So, two conclusions. God is a spring of living water through His Spirit that comes from Jesus Christ. So you can just imagine His disappointment when He sees so many people out there digging their own cisterns and preferring contaminated water over living water, over Him. Preferring other things over Him. You know, we, we have, we've seen three temples that are full of stagnant water. The temple of pleasure, the temple of power, and now the temple of love. And it's a battle that we all have to fight. But the Word of God reassures us. In John, 1 John 4, verse 4, He says, The one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. So this is a battle we can win if we're willing to open our eyes and be completely honest with ourselves. If you don't have the Spirit of Christ in you, then you don't have the one in you who is greater than the one who is in the world. Therefore, you have no hope of victory. And you might as well enjoy this life because this is all, this is all you're going to enjoy. Put your faith in Jesus Christ. Believe in Him. Give your life to Jesus Submit to Him by confessing your faith in Him, by turning away from sin and turning to Him, being immersed in water for the forgiveness of your sins so that you can receive that spring of living water, the Holy Spirit, to dwell in you and to connect you with God in this life. If you're a Christian who's losing the battle, we ask you to come and renew your commitment to Christ because that's where the strength is. That's where you can have the kind of relationships that you want in this world. The relationship with Jesus and putting Him first will make all your other relationships better. So please, we invite you this morning, respond to the Gospel. Jesus is offering you life like you've never had it before. He's offering you eternal life like you've never had it before. You want to dig your own cisterns or you want